Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, how great is your love that you have loved us, that we would be called children of God, that you would send your Son, that you would send your Spirit to open our eyes to see your Son suffering on the cross, to see him as our saving substitute who bore the wrath of God on our behalf. How great is your love. God, we pray that you would teach us about how much you love us so that we could respond by loving you and by loving our neighbor. God, we thank you for this moment in time, Lord, as we get ready to commission those who are part of the core group of Hope Church Toronto North. We pray that you would be present here with us for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and find verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. And uh, you can just raise your hand and they'd be glad to give you a Bible. At the end of May, our Hope Church Toronto North core group, the, the small group of people that has been working and praying and planning and training, they've been gathering monthly on Saturdays. And at the end of May, they're going to... They're going to transition from moving from meeting on Saturdays monthly to meeting Sundays weekly. Now, they're not going to be opening up their doors to the public. The church is kind of not officially starting at that point. But, but God has been working, and we really believe that this is the next stage, the next step for them, as God is taking this group of individuals who, who he has called and has been really knitting them together as a family, as uh, the body of Christ. And so this Sunday is one of the last Sundays that we'll actually have together with them. And so this is sort of a bittersweet kind of a celebration where we, we say goodbye uh, to these brothers and sisters who we dearly, dearly love, but we also uh, pray and send them out with great expectation for what God has in store in the future. And so uh, what's going to happen today is we're going to spend some time in God's Word together. That's my part. You can expect that at Harvest, right? Uh, then after that, Pastor Chris is going to come up and lead us together in uh, a time around the Lord's table and where we're going to share communion. This will be our last time with all of us together with those core group members uh, to break bread uh, together, to remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And then we're going to have all of the core group members come up here, and uh, some of our elders are going to pray for them, to send them off well as they begin this new uh, chapter together. And the, the passage that God led me to uh, this week as I was getting ready for, uh, for this moment in time is uh, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 to 18, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One of the reasons why I wanted to begin with this passage is because it, this passage begins with a therefore. You see it right there at the beginning of verse 12, and whenever you see the word therefore, he's, he's referring back to what he has just said. And the passage that precedes the passage that we are studying right now is the passage that Rochelle so beautifully recited for us during that last song, which caused all of us to really spontaneously erupt in praise, that this reflection upon the reality of who Jesus is. And then there is this, this therefore, as a result of all of that, as a result of what God has, has done in sending his son in verse 6 who was in the form of God. In verse 7 who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. In light of, because of the fact that he was found in human form and humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross in verse 8. And then in verse 9, before we get to our therefore, God has a therefore. So Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, became a human, suffered and died, obedient to the point of death. The first, therefore, is God the Father's, therefore. And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name that's above every name, so that every being in heaven, on earth, even under the earth, will declare, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then it comes to our, therefore. And Paul's going to tell the church at Philippi some difficult things. Things that are not easy. Things that will require effort, not just part with part of their lives, but their whole lives. But it all begins with the therefore. Everything that Hope Church Toronto North is being called to do, everything that our church is being called to do in sending this church out has to be rooted in what Christ has already done for us. So it begins with a therefore. And then notice how he speaks to the church of Philippi. He says, therefore, my beloved. Paul loves these people. Paul remembers how he first came across this church. He wasn't planning on going to Philippi, but he had a vision. Someone from Macedonia saying, come here and help us. And so Paul went to to Macedonia. He went to, to Philippi, one of the cities in that region. And he first met Lydia, a small business owner. She dealt in purple cloth. Lydia comes to know Christ, her whole household as well. And things, momentum begins to build, but then, listen, love really grows in the midst of adversity, doesn't it? Paul winds up being thrown in prison. The church at Philippi, they're praying earnestly for him, and then God sends an earthquake. He sets them free from prison, and guess who else comes to Christ? Now the jail jail guard and his whole family become Christians as well. And this is how the church started, Lydia and the jailer. And Paul here calls them, my beloved. We've got a history together. We go back. And the amazing thing about sending out this, this, this core group to plant this church is that we have, a, we have a history together. I mean, some of us, we've been doing life together, doing church together for the last decade. 
And now, in light of all that God has done, and there's so much love that we have for Pastor Marv and his wife Kim and his children, there's so much love for all of the members of the core group. And Paul says, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. You see, he, he knows he's, he's not with them anymore in Philippi. And this is one of the last Sundays where we're all going to be together. Right now it's about presence. We're, we're, we're together. But soon it's going to be about absence. We are going to notice that, that these leaders, these disciples, these followers of Christ that have been part of our body, worshiping together with us, we are going to notice their absence. But Paul says, I'm... I'm I'm expecting that you would continue to obey when, even when we're not together. And again, everything that we are being called to do has to come in response to what Christ has already done for us. So he says, I anticipate that you will obey. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is it my presence, but much more in my absence. So again, the obedience that he's expecting from the church at Philippi comes after the therefore. Therefore, in light of Christ, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the obedience that he's expecting of the church of Philippi is rooted in the obedience that Christ suffered and died for us on our behalf. So with that as the groundwork, Paul then gives three strong commands, admonitions, that this church ought to do in light of all that Christ is. And here's the first one. We've got to work out our salvation. Work out our salvation. Now, this message predominantly is geared towards those who are being called by God to go and to get this, plant, this church plant started. The group of about 25 or 30 people from our church, and then we have other people visiting here who are also part of the core group. We're so glad to have them here with us. So I'm speaking really directly at you this morning. But this doesn't mean that if you are staying here at Harvest Mississauga that you're somehow off the hook. Because here's the thing. When I look at the people who are getting ready to go and plant this church, and you're going to see them here when they're standing up here at the platform, these are some of our best and our brightest. These are people who are serving faithfully right now and key leaders in our church right now. And so they are taking a huge step of faith to go and to do something new, but we need to think as well as a church family, somebody in this room is going to have to take the spot that was once occupied by the people who are going to plant Hope Church Toronto North. There's going to be a pretty massive leadership vacuum. And and so God is calling all of us to evaluate, okay, I may not be called to, uh, to go to the Yorkdale region and help start a church, but maybe God is calling you to get more involved in this church. And it begins, Paul says, by working out our salvation. He says at the end of verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, our heresy alarms start to go off with a verse like this because the word work and the word salvation are found in such close proximity, right? We believe in justification by grace. We're not saved by works So how can he possibly say, work out your salvation? But let's be really careful. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift. It can't be earned. But it would be helpful for us to understand, in a broader New Testament context, 
What does, what does Paul mean when he uses the word salvation? There's three different ways that the word salvation is used. Let me show you. The first instance would be, would be Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace, you have been saved. It's past tense. Are you saved? When did you get saved? I am saved. But then in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that word saved is being used, but it's used in a present tense. It's something that's ongoing. But then... On top of that, there's another sense in which the word salvation is used to describe something that's going to happen in the future. In Acts 15, it says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And so we have, we, we have, have been saved, being saved, and will be saved. Let's go to the next slide. So we have been saved from what? We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. That's not something we're hoping that will happen. No, Christ said, it is finished. He bore the wrath of God. He was a propitiation to satisfy God's anger towards our sin. It's, it's done. It's finished. We are saved. But in the present tense, we are being saved from sin's power in our lives. We are forgiven, but we're still processing and living out that salvation, aren't we? And then we, one day in glory, we will be saved from sin's presence. And if I were to attach theological labels to these, two, these three aspects of salvation, it would go like this. Saved from sin's penalty, that's what we call justification. Being saved from sin's power, this ongoing process of wrestling against sin by the power of the Spirit is called sanctification. And we will be saved from sin's presence, that's what we look forward to at the stage of glorification. Now... Which one is Paul referring to here? When he says, work out your salvation, he's not talking about justification because he says it's your salvation. You already have it. And it's not something that, there's, that is going to happen in the future like glorification. No, when he says, work out your salvation, he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about, this is who God has made you. And so we got to act like that because that is how it will be in the future. A parallel would be like the, the people of Israel who were saved from Egypt. So they're no longer slaves, right? And they're on their way to the promised land. But as they're wandering through the wilderness, what was the challenge? The challenge was, for them was to stop living like they're still slaves. They got the people out of Egypt, but they didn't get Egypt out of the people. And that's the process that we are all going through. We're no longer slaves to sin. And, and we are being saved, which means that we are learning what it means to be Slaves to righteousness, to be sons and daughters of God. And we are on our way to eternity with him in his presence. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that we're perpetually terrified as Christians. That's an idiom that means know your place. It, it means just be humble. Don't think more of your. Don't be presumptuous. And this is why, verse 13... For it is God who works in you. We work out, of our sal we work out our salvation, but the only way that we can work out our salvation is because God is working in us. We have a therefore, but our therefore is only there because God has a therefore. We work, we only work because God is already working in us. 
Ephesians 3.20, which Seamuson shared at the beginning of the service, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God wants to work in us. And I love what it says. It says, it's God who works in us, in verse 13, both, he's going to say two things, to will and to work. God doesn't just change our behavior on the outside. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, when God does the work of regeneration and gives you a new heart, he actually gives you new desires. He not only changes your deeds, he changes your very desires. He changes us from the inside out to will and to work, and then I love this, for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Hands up if you spend any time in your life trying to live and will and work for your own pleasure. Hands up. Just me? How'd that work out for you? Real bad, right? And we, we're surrounded in a world. that the, the, the message of the world is just live for your own pleasure. Indulge yourself. Please yourself. If it feels good, do it. And that's why there's so much destruction and dysfunction all around us. People trying to live for their own pleasure. We've got to get off that track as soon as possible. But the danger is we can get off that track and get onto another even more dangerous track. It's living for someone else's pleasure. Trying to live your life pleasing other people. Doing what this person wants to do over here and doing what this person wants to do over here. And got all of these plates spinning and the problem comes is when this person wants you to do something from opposite from what this person wants you to do. Then what do you do? But the freedom that comes where you're not living for your own pleasure... You're not living to try to please other people and keep other people happy because that's just impossible. But to live for his pleasure. To live and work for an audience of one. It's an incredible freeing statement. I'm, I'm noticing a pattern in my preaching that about every two or three weeks I quote C.S. Lewis. And uh, I can't really apologize for that. He's just had such an impact on me, and I, I'm a big fan of brevity and clarity, and C.S. Lewis just nails that. One of C.S. Lewis' most well-known pieces of writing is not a book. It's actually a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And The Weight of Glory is just one of the most powerful and profound pieces of Christian writing that I've ever read. It's where that familiar, often quoted uh, statement about where C.S. Lewis says that we've been invited to a holiday at the sea, but we're eating mud pies in the slum, that our desires are not too strong, but our desires are too weak. But he also talks about this idea of pleasing God. And for him, that's what the weight of glory actually is. The glory that comes, the immense weight that comes on a human soul at the very thought that we as mortal beings could actually do something that would make the God of the universe happy. And he, he used this illustration really from from the early childhood classroom at Harvest Kids where, you know, there's a three-year-old child putting three blocks together. And what does the Harvest Kids worker do in that moment? Comes over and says, Johnny, I like your tower. 
And what happens? What happens in, in Johnny's heart? You can see it on their face. They don't really know what to do with it. They, they smile, but then they feel a little bit self-conscious. They're so filled with joy, but they're not sure how to handle it. And isn't that, isn't that so much of what parenting is? Isn't that so much of what child-rearing is in those early days? Is that moment of saying, I like what you've done. And C.S. Lewis talks about how when, when we're little children, there's something so pure about that. Then it gets all distorted as, as, we get, as we get older and our fallenness really begins to take root and it becomes about people-pleasing and the fear of man. But he talks about the purity of that moment. And he says the reason why that's such a powerful and profound thing for that little three-year-old is because every single human being has been hardwired to hear someone say something to them. To hear the voice of God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That is the greatest thing that any human being could ever hear. And it starts when we're a little child longing to hear that kind of affirmation. And we are called to will and to work for his good pleasure. I promise to C.S. Lewis quote, here it is. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted it as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is core group members of Hope Church Toronto North, but so it is. Yes, there's a whole throng of people here right now that are cheering you on, that are excited about what God is doing, but listen, no one is more excited about this church plant than the Lord is. No one is more pleased with this group of people who are taking this step of faith than the Lord is. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people end up coming to this church. It doesn't matter what, what ends up going on. All that matters is, is God pleased? Is God pleased with what is happening? To will and to work for his good pleasure. As a result of that, Paul gives this next command. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. If you're going to work out your salvation, if you're going to live out what it means to be forgiven, if you truly are focused on God's good pleasure and not your own, not someone else's, if you're living for him, if you believe that he's at work in you, then do all things without grumbling or disputing. I did some work in the original languages this week. I looked up the word all in Greek. It's the word panta, and I unfortunately need to report to you that the word all means all. I was hoping I could do something hermeneutically to kind of let us off the hook, you know, do most things without grumbling or complaining. No, but we are called upon to do all things. Then verse 15 says, here's what will happen if we learn to get our eyes on God and our eyes on Christ and live for his pleasure and let him work in us and lay aside grumbling and complaining, he says, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Hope Church Toronto North, work out your salvation. Secondly, let your light shine. Let your light shine. You guys have been given this incredible calling. You are going into a place filled with darkness. You are going into going into a place that desperately needs the light and the way that we can practically show the world the light is by dealing with grumbling. By nipping it in the bud. By resolving to be thankful, resolving to have our minds fixed on Christ and the cross and what he has done, let that be our therefore, let that be our motivation to filter whatever we think we're struggling with or however we're suffering, to filter that suffering through Christ's suffering on the cross so that we would shine like lights. As some of you are relatively new to our church, you've just joined us since we moved into this building, we've done church in a lot of different places. We started in a home in a living room in Brampton. We moved to a hotel and then a school gym, and our offices have been in a number of different places, and our offices sort of always ended up being in basements. And uh, we were in some pretty tight quarters at different places, and we have the most incredible staff. Marv joined our staff in 2012, and when I think back to some of the working conditions that, that we had, I'm surprised no one tried to take me to court as their boss. Uh, one day when we were in the middle of some sort of office rearranging, we were trying to put five people in a place that should really only have one, uh, this was what Marv's desk was. This is a tiny little hallway in a basement. You can notice that's two Rubbermaid containers with a piece of wood. I'm not sure what the big paper clip is holding up at that point. His Bible doesn't even fit and I love the retro MacBook there. Listen, we have the most incredible staff. Marv is part of that culture. No grumbling, no complaining, just a privilege of serving the Lord. And sometimes you can get this idea about, about ministry. Sometimes some of us, we only see ministry happen for 90 minutes once a week. And, and you think that it's just, it's just easy and, and it's just, it's not easy. And church planting is not easy. Easy. Being a core group member for a church plant is not easy. And we need to resolve. We need to resolve not to grumble and complain. And as I mentioned, some of our best and brightest are going to plant this church. That means that some of those things that some of those best and brightest people were doing, like running Harvest Kids, like leading worship, like doing all of those people are going to be gone. And so some of those balls are going to drop. And it may not look as good or sound as good or be as organized as it once was. And are we here at Harvest Mississauga going to grumble and complain? Or are we going to delight in the fact that, well, the reason why this isn't working here is because we're starting a new work there. And are we going to step up and fill in some of those uh, uh, vacant uh, positions for God's glory? Let your light shine. Do it all without grumbling or complaining. Now he's making a reference to the children of Israel who were set free from Egypt and wandered around the wilderness. And what did they do? They grumbled. And they disputed. It was like, you know, you wake up in the morning, oh, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Grumble? Yeah, it sounds good. Let's grumble. Okay, where's Moses? Come on. 
Right? That, that, that seemed like how it went. They just grumbled. They disputed. They complained. And this language here of crooked and twisted and blemish, this is all language from Deuteronomy chapter 32. We don't have a time to go all the way back to Deuteronomy 32. You can read it on your own time. But Deuteronomy 32 is a song that Moses wrote. It's a pretty depressing song. It's a song that's intended to be a warning. This new generation was about to go into the promised land. And Moses was warning them saying, don't be like the previous generation that grumbled and disputed. And one of the lyrics in the song, Moses wrote, they have dealt corruptly with him, that's God. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. What got them that way? How did they get to be twisted and crooked and blemished? Because they grumbled. They weren't filled with thanksgiving. They didn't have a therefore. They didn't remind themselves about how they had been miraculously rescued from Egypt. And so they grumbled and they complained. They became crooked and they became twisted. And then Paul flips the whole thing on its head. And he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish and then it says in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation in a world that's filled with grumbling the the chosen people of God were supposed to stand out those people who were rescued from Egypt were supposed to stand out from the rest of the world but they proved to be just as crooked and twisted as the other nations and Paul says our calling is to stand out to let our light shine among a crooked and a twisted generation and this church plan is moving this Yorkdale neighborhood I mean it's, it's, it's a complex neighborhood you've got people who have been Canadians and multiple generations of Canadians living in this neighborhood you've got brand new Canadians and you know what people are grumbling the new Canadians are grumbling about the established Canadians. The established Canadians are grumbling about the new Canadians. There's grumbling about this ethnicity and that ethnicity and this culture and that culture. There's grumbling about the people who are suffering economically and they're grumbling about the wealthy people. The wealthy people are grumbling about the poor people. And this church is being called to go and to be a light and to not do what the rest of the world does but to focus on Christ and to point people to Christ To shine as lights in this dark world. And here's here's how we shine. We shine by holding, look at verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. You got the word of life in your hand right now. Hold fast. Hold on to it tightly. If the Bible in your hand right now is a new international version, it doesn't say hold fast, it says hold out. And the the Greek word could actually mean both of those things. Hold fast doesn't mean to hold it so close and use such spiritual esoteric language that no one really knows what you're talking about. That's not what hold fast means. Hold fast means also holding it out. Holding on to it, but then also holding it out for the world to hear and to know. Don't lose your grip on it. Don't let the Bible slip out of your hands as you get focused on all of these other things. To hold fast to the word of God and to hold out the word of God, shining as lights. I want to go back, though, in verse 15 where it talks about this idea of children. 
We are children of God. That's how he refers to us. That when we don't grumble, we prove to be children of God. When we do grumble, if if grumbling is sort of our default setting, then we need to take a serious look at our lives and examine ourselves to see if we are actually in the faith or if we're like that perverse generation in the wilderness that was all around God's amazing provision but didn't truly believe. True Christians put grumbling to death. They let their light shine because they know that they are children. It's so vital for us to understand that we are children of God. If you're going to go on this church plant and be part of this core group and you're hoping that you will somehow carve out an identity for yourself in that ministry, that's going to be a nightmare. You don't minister so that you can get an identity. You minister out of an identity that you've already been given as a child of God. And so we got to understand that we have been made children. A J.I. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, It means that he does not understand Christianity very much at all. It's all about understanding that who we are, as we sang today, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We are not just justified. We are adopted. We aren't just rescued from hell. We are invited into God's family. We are not merely forgiven sinners. We are adopted sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is why we got to hold fast to the word of life. Because the word of life, it's not just for other people. It's for us. And when we read the word and treasure the word and memorize the word and teach the word and preach the word, we're reminded time and time again, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. Oh, there it is again, I'm a child of God. God's son became like us so that we could become like him. He's a child of God. He became like us so that we could, too could become a child of God and let our lights shine. Then he gets into the purpose In verse 16, he says, so that, so the therefore really highlighted the motivation for why they do what they do. And now this so that is saying, well, here's the desired result. If you do what I'm commanding you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do, this is what will happen. He says, so that in the day of Christ, his focus is on the very end. I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the third thing. Make joyful sacrifices. We are called to work out our salvation. We're called to let our light shine. And we're called to make joyful sacrifices. Paul wants to make sure that he wasn't laboring in vain. He wants to make sure that all the time that he invested when he was in Macedonia, when he was in Philippi, that it wasn't all a waste of time, that they didn't turn out like that wilderness generation, that we're just going to grumble and complain. But Paul knows, because in Philippians 1.6 he says, I'm confident that he who began a good work 
in you will carry it to completion. Paul knows his labor wasn't in vain. Paul knows that no labor that we do for Christ, no sacrifice that we make for Christ is in vain. But we got to understand that Paul's language is quite clear here. He uses the word sacrifice. He uses the word offering. He talks about a drink offering that's continually being poured out until it is empty. This is what we are called to do as Christians in ministry is to pour our trust that God will continue to fill us up and continually pour ourselves out. But it's a sacrifice. Our oldest son now is about 10 years old and so he's just about heading into, you know, the junior high years, the high school years. Yikes. Those were not good times for me. And there's hardly a person in this room who's like, oh yeah, age 11 through 18, I just nailed it. That was great. <laughs> and there's part of us as parents that just wants to, you know, shelter them, right? Snowplow in front of them, helicopter all around them. And, and protect them, protect them from themselves, protect them from the world, protect them from mean girls, and boys. But isn't there this desire as a parent, you just, you want to just make sure that the, the pain that you experience, that you want to make sure that it doesn't happen for them. I got to be honest with you that there's been a lot of parallels with, with me in, in letting this church go and letting this core group go. I I'm, have all these conversations with, with Marv, you know, and, and have you thought about this? Are you sure you want to do this? What about this? What about this? Because I'm just, I'm, I don't want him to go through some of the pain and the trial that I went through in ministry. But the truth is, I can't protect him from that. I can't prevent those things from happening. I can do that, just like a parent, I can do the best that I can to prepare them. But at the end of the day, i got to trust that God's in control. There will be sacrifices. Being a sacrifice is not a pleasant experience. Having the dross removed so that the gold or the silver can really shine is not an enjoyable experience. Yeah, junior high and high school was rough for me. To be honest, so were my 20s and my 30s, but that's another story. But listen, it was those things... It was those things that made me who I am today. God used those things. And God uses the sacrifice, the hardship, the difficulty, the suffering of serving him to make us more like him. That's why Paul can say at the end of verse 17, I am glad and rejoice with you all. That's why he tells them in verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. There's there's no possibility for a new church to be planted without sacrifice. A, A group of people made a huge amount of sacrifices about 10 years ago to start this church. There's now a new group of people who are being called to go and to make sacrifices, to be poured out. It's going to hurt. 
but God is going to use it and therefore we can rejoice. And remember the therefore. We make a sacrifice because Christ has already made the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what we want to get our eyes on together today. At this crucial moment to remember who Christ is and what he has done for us. To commission these dear brothers and sisters to love them, to serve them, to send them in the hands of a sovereign God. To go and to serve and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, these dear brothers and sisters. God, I pray for Andy and Jermaine. I pray for Brooke, for Phil and Lori, for Yogi and Mina and Sanjay. For Carla, for Rebecca, for Mike and Linda, for Isaac and Kaylin, for Dennis and Vicky, for Anthony and Rochelle, for Sean and Kareen and their children, Rhea, David, and Liam, for Neil and Cheryl, for Jonathan and Stephanie and dear little Eleanor. God, we pray for Shayon and Natalie and little Shepherd. We pray for Marvin Kim, and Zion and River and Eiffel and Irie. God, we commit them into your hands. God, we pray that you would work in them. We pray that the sacrifice that they are being prepared to make, Lord, would, would be a pleasing aroma. Because it's rooted and grounded in the sacrifice that Christ made for them. I pray, Lord God, that they would shine like stars in this dark world. I pray, Lord, that you would meet with us right now as we take in our hands the bread and the cup. I pray that you would forgive us of our grumbling. I pray that we would be mindful of who Christ is and what he has done. And that you would meet with us in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.